Still trying to herd all those ducks into a nice neat row before you get started with your business or project? Maybe you've already started, but your fear is stopping you from up-leveling. Or maybe you've spent your life saying yes to everyone else, but committing to yourself is still on your to-do list. Hi, I'm Claire Barton, and I'm a recovering perfectionist too. Welcome to the show where I share simple, practical, and mindset tips to get you doing work you're passionate about, making the money you want, and spending your time and energy building your dream lifestyle. Hello everyone, it's Claire from The Recovering Perfectionist and today I'm joined by the gorgeous Dr. Barbara Hong who is the author of Failing Up, um, a beautiful book which I have started to read and I have to admit I haven't completely finished but I can't wait to um, talk to you about it and you're joining us from beautiful Hawaii today. Welcome to the show. Hi, aloha. (laughs) Beautiful, sounds so gorgeous when you say that. So, um, Barbara, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you in a nutshell um, before we start having a chat about this amazing book and your incredible story? Well, I'm originally from Singapore. I'm currently a professor. been teaching for almost 17 years. I'm a speaker, author, and um, I teach and I live in Hawaii. <laughs> amazing. Living the dream, absolutely living the dream. We were just talking before we started recording about the beach lifestyle and um, a lot of my friends have gone to Hawaii in the last couple of years. It seems to be a bit of an awesome place to go for Aussies at the moment. So I'm seething with envy, basically. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, Barbara, um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your book and a bit about your story in a nutshell. Um, I could probably bumble my way through it but you'll be much more eloquent and articulate um, in doing so Um, and obviously this show is the recovering perfectionist so we're all about recovering from perfection and also finding ways to move forward with imperfect action and do things in a way that isn't just about pleasing other people and that sort of thing and I know that's a very central kind of theme for your book so I'll hand over to you to give us a bit of a download on all things Dr Barbara Hong life story and book. I love the theme of your show, The Perfectionist, The Recovering Perfectionist. <laughs> Oftentimes when people look at me, they say, wow, you are successful. You must have all this laid out, especially with the movie Crazy Rich Asian. They think I'm you know, crazy and rich and Asian. And <laughs> all you think about, they are top in math and science. And what happened was when I was teaching at a university, a large university, I was helping this student who was trying to recover from his alcoholic addiction. And uh, within a few days, he gave up and he said, you will never understand where I'm coming from. You are Asian and you went to Ivy League school. Your parents are probably wealthy and educated and you don't know what is it like to fail. And I, it dawned on me that, you know, I bet a lot of people think Asians are like that. <laughs> wow. And so I embarked on writing this book, which was kind of, you know, um, embarrassing, humiliating, and I don't know if any professor ever want to profess that they failed their whole life to be where they are today. So again, writing a research paper would have been so much easier, but it took seven years to really have the courage to write out everything. And so the book is basically a memoir about my life growing up and how I failed from the beginning. And particularly my dad has been an alcoholic, my mom is illiterate. Uh, she can't write her names. My, uh, I'm the youngest of the four. My oldest brother 
drop out at seventh grade. And the last time I saw him was in prison, probably 16 years ago. Uh, my second brother dropped out at ninth grade and my sister dropped out at ninth grade as well. So the biggest dream that my mom has for any of us is if we finish 10th grade or if one of us work in an office with air condition, wow. that would be, yeah. yeah. So my mom, um, when I couldn't get into school, and the reason is because Singapore had a policy when it separated from Malaysia in the 19, uh, you know, 65. So I was born in the 1970s. I was told that because I'm the fourth child, I will be penalized. That means I cannot go to any good school or my mom, my mom will uh, be fined $1,000, which was a lot of money. So she doesn't have the money and she tried to get rid of me. So she finally told me when I was six years old that she tried aborting me twice. Wow. She told you that when you were six and years she old? she couldn't get rid of me. So she always reminded me that, <sighs> that because I couldn't get into school, so then she, I didn't understand what's the meaning of the word abort. She said, I could have gotten rid of you. You should never have been born. And so then she kind of have like this guilt through that because I was born and, and now, you know, I'm here. She said, you know, don't, don't study too much because you have brain damage already. I already ate things that try to get rid of you when wow. she was six. So my whole life, I just think I'm a cabbage head, which you think of a cabbage. It's empty. It looks like a brain. And that's what it's called, a cabbage head. So I've been, you know, called names by teachers, by my own mother. Right, so my dad doesn't really involve himself with us, and uh, livelihood is just um, you know a lot of people are poor in Singapore at that time. So my house was like a sweatshop. We just snip clothings when clothes are nice in the store. Is because somebody cut the buttons and the thread off, and they look nice when you present them. And so that's the life that I know. I just go to school, passing days, but um, not much get into my head and. Uh, I believe that I'm stupid and uh, again, teacher called me retarded and that's what I am, <laughs> you know. I don't know about anyone else, but I'm sure like me, I'm literally covered in goosebumps and I'm feeling really sad and really angry all at the same time and just like, oh, what is wrong with people? Um, and hoping that things aren't exactly like that for as many people these days, but also completely conscious that it is like that for people. So. Go on. I'm just going to gather my thoughts right now. <laughs> a lot of time we, we look at our, whether it's genetic, whether it's biological, environmental, we blame our heritage, we blame our circumstances. Uh, and uh, so I live that kind of life and I don't think it's unique. A lot of people say, well, there's nothing much I can do to change because that's the way I was born. But what happened was in 10th grade, uh, I flunked the very major exam because I didn't, actually I didn't even show up for the exam. So I kind of live a self-fulfilling life. But what happened was it was so humiliating because everybody would have gone on and wore a different uniform. And if I would repeat, I would have to wear the same uniform. That means everybody would know that I flunked or I could just drop out like my siblings. But I decided that I am going to suck it up. I'm going to give myself 24 hours to cry. And it could be the longest 365 days of my life or the shortest 365 days of my life that I got the chance to turn around. So again, going back to school, repeating, so embarrassing. And went into class. Actually, no teacher wants to teach that class. It was so bad. And finally, the administrator had no choice. At the last minute, he came in. And his error happened to be math. I mean, when you are flunking, the last thing you want to learn is math. 
but it was the way Mr. Yap taught the class. He didn't just teach math. He said, of course you guys can do this. Look at this. And this is how you... So I don't know when was the last time he taught, but we were all afraid of him because he's the disciplinary master. But he had a way of teaching me. It wasn't the subject. It's that he taught me. And I embraced it. And that year I went on and I did my exam and I got an A. <laughs> went from an absent to an A. And it changes my attitude. So what happened was I was so afraid of failing after that. I studied so hard, like you said, you know, recovering perfections. I, I put aside everything. I just want to study and be the first in everything. And I went on uh, to pre-university. I did so well. I got the best all-round student of the year. I mean, we're talking about a one-year change. But again, it became so absorbing that all I care about was winning, being competitive, being number one, that I have very little sense of people around me. I don't care about anybody. And uh, I was miserable, <laughs> you know. And again, this, the book being filling up is that flunking my whole life and suddenly you get this prize, you want to hang on to it. But it was also a reflection of, you know, I don't really like me now that I got everything. What is the next thing, right? What's the next competition? You can't beat yourself anymore and you're always so afraid that somebody's going to beat you. And that's where I start discovering that I don't want to be competitive. I want to be ambitious. And the difference is being competitive, you com you're always looking for the next competition to compete with somebody and to make sure that you beat somebody. But being ambitious is it doesn't matter who is going to finish the race as long as I finish the race. It's something that I set for myself to reach. Even if it takes me longer, I can make it because I have the desire and I want to do it, regardless of if 100 people is in front of me. Mm. So that changes my attitude and I start embracing that I need to care about people around me. Mm. And so I've always embraced that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Being self-determined is so good to have, but it can also be very dangerous. Yeah. unless you start caring about people around you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, if we just backtrack for two seconds to the comparisonitis is crippling, isn't it? We call it comparisonitis if you've heard that phrase. Like we, when you're constantly comparing yourself to the people around you or other people's success or how other people are going, it can make you feel like, you know, amazing or it can make you feel like you're doing really well, but it can be crippling because... You partly, you're always striving to, to see what everyone else is doing. And then as soon as someone else does a little bit better, you're absolutely beating yourself up about it. Yeah. Oh, yes. My goodness. Totally. You know, it's like we always say we want to be that somebody, you know, we want to be the next this. No, be the first you. Yeah. Be you. Yeah. Be the first one to do something for myself. Yeah. I shouldn't want to, you know, get a good grade because my teacher says so, because my mom says so. Of course, we do that to please the people around us. But at some points, we need to recognize, are you doing this for yourself? Mm. You know? yes. So when I went on to have, uh, I start noticing people care about me when they try to correct me. There's a difference between mm. in a, you know, a, criticizing somebody and being a critique to somebody. The people are trying to help me change. Barbara, embrace the self-determination self you have by loving yourself and loving the people around you. Otherwise, I can take this arrogance and zealousness 
in the wrong path. And uh, it started helping me to realize that I don't really like myself now that I'm successful or, you know, unless I start caring about people. Mm. It's okay to admit that I flunk, I fell, but not to be discouraged and to pick myself up. So that changes my attitude. It's not about getting there. It's about being willing to pick myself up, Mm. being willing to admit that I do fail, I falter, I'm human. Sometimes it's not when or where you start, it's how you land on your two feet. And uh, I Mm. believe in that. So Barbara, with your very humble, if not incredibly difficult beginnings, do you think that that culturally and your family and your upbringing helped you to stop the competitiveness and transition into the ambition? Or was it your teacher or like, why, why do you think you were able to kind of recognize that that's what was going on and actually be able to make that transition? Sometimes we think that it's like a, a lightning rod or something. And for me, it wasn't like that. Mm. It was that I, it was the teachers around me. It was the teacher who was critiquing me and I could have been angry with the critique, but I start realizing, like I mentioned, I don't like. So what if I got the top best oral student? I don't like myself, right? Some people could be rich and they got status, they got job, they got luxurious car, but they don't like themselves. I want to like myself. I actually like myself better when I was failing. So I, I put a resolution that I want to change my attitude. Just like, you know, when I came to America, I learned about the story Alice in Wonderland. She reached a crossroad and she doesn't know which path to take. And the Trisha cat said, well, where do you want to go? And she said, I, I don't know. I said, well, then it doesn't matter which way you take. And to me, the story kind of like a little bit, you know, like you say, enabling. It's like, just because I don't know what's ahead, it doesn't mean I have to turn back. I still have to take a road and then discover who I am. Take on challenges, not just because it's easy. I do things out of my comfort zone to see who I am. I start uh, noticing people, and the hardest thing is putting myself in their shoe, being empathetic. And when I start doing that, I discover that I want to be better more than just achieving something material or educational or career-wise. Is I want to change what's inside me, the attributes. So just like in Alice in Wonderland, even if I chose the wrong road, I am willing to be humble and turn around and say, I'm wrong. Let me try another road. Oh, that is such a big one, right? Like just being able to say, oh, that was it. That didn't quite go according to how it was supposed to be. And I talk about like failing fast or um, some people call it like spectacularly Mm -hmm. failing and and trying to, especially Mm -hmm. when you're either a type A or you're a perfectionist or a people pleaser, that even that getting told no or getting a red cross is like the worst thing that could ever happen. And there's a big, you know, a bit of a movement, I guess, I don't know about it in the States, but certainly in Australia where um, everyone gets an award for participating, whether or not you came first, second or third. And teachers aren't allowed to use red pen to give ticks or crosses and they don't give scores at tests and that sort of thing. And it's very divisive. And to be perfectly honest, my, my child's only just started school um, just over a year ago. And I'm not really sure how I feel about it because I really want to um, encourage effort, but also getting a great outcome is really important. Um, but having people who can lovingly give you feedback or give you that criticism or 
all of those sort of things is very important. But obviously, we all have very different um, you know, personality types as well. But in the real world, there's going to be stuff that does work and stuff that doesn't work. And if the first time people figure that out is when they turn 20 and they're out of university and they get a job and someone tells them they've stuffed up, like that's not going to go down well either. You know? So I think a lot of us have this real fear of failing um, and that can come from so many different places, parents and school and friends and workplace and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, do you, do you have a, um, a, an instruction or something that you would suggest that well, people do to get used to failing at stuff or used to being wrong? Well, I don't think we should deliberately go fail ourselves, but we should be willing to look at failure as a lesson. And that's where trial and error comes in. Like you mentioned in school, being an educator, is that we condemn with a red pen. Or we went all the way to the extreme. We don't give any grades. So then you don't know. But the problem is that don't let the external force define who you are. If a teacher gives me C, but I know what I've done, or I realize, you know, I didn't really put in much effort. I deserve this. Or I deserve something better. Is to be self-aware. It's not that you go seek failure, it's to seek self-awareness. Being self-aware means knowing that, hey, the teacher may think so, my boss may think so, but I feel this way. So it's different than being prideful and not willing to accept, you know, failure or anything. Like you say, you know, in the United States, I mean, for sixth grade, you have no grades. You just have this smiley face and I'm like, well, how am I doing? Sometimes you need some affirmation, numbers, whatever it is. But at the same time, being self-aware, I know these are my weaknesses. I know these are my strengths. I know these are my goals. Let me work towards. It's the constant going. And that's what makes failure so recognizable, so relatable. So people say, oh, go ahead and fail. That's where you learn. But I think the misstep is, what did you get out of it? Are you willing to introspect insight and say, it's true, I didn't do as well, and it's okay because I'm gonna take the next day to change. Yeah. And being willing to change is the biggest thing. So when people look at me and say, you know, even though I started college late at 24, but I finished with a PhD and three masters before 31, they say, wow, you must be smart. I say, no, it's because I took 22 years to fail to understand how to do it right in eight years. Oh, and I'm still absolutely. <laughs> Well, often there's a bit of a thing around at the moment where people are like an overnight success 20 years after they started. <laughs> like they chip away, they chip away, they make mistakes, they try things that didn't work, they try something else and then overnight they do something and it works and people are like, oh, I just made my first million in a week but actually it's taken you however many years to get to the point of that but we don't talk about that. Yeah, the secret, I said, the number one secret is I fail a lot. But number two is being aware. And number three is staying consistent. Staying consistent means, you know, you're willing to, hey, I accept feedback, not just only certain people tell me that I accept it. Only if I get this, then I accept No, I'm, I'm consistent. I'm going to build sure. and my attitude and attributes. If I build certain attributes, I'm okay. If people question me or notice something, I will welcome you to tell me because I want to be better. And even if I choose to be, you know, a custodian or a salesperson, a waitress, I can still be the best person I can be. I am not defined by degrees and uh, you know, wealth and, and the house that I live in. Those are just a, a byproduct. It just happened. But who I am is what defines my happiness. Mm. And by writing this book, 
and all my students are, are shocked because they go, oh my goodness, we call professor, like your whole life, you just love school and you study. I say, no, the last thing I want to do is to be a teacher. But somehow along the way, it was people around me and I embraced what they taught me. They care enough and now I go forth and I want to care and teach about, teach my students how to care. You know, in school, we talk about career and standards, I said, the C stands for the child. And remember the child that you're teaching. That whatever the child chooses, who did he become more than he became? A, he's, he's a lawyer, he's a doctor. Whom did he become? He become more confident, more caring person, a kind of person. You have done a good job in influencing this child. Mm, love it. Love it. And I think... Um, Two things that I, you know, massively cling on to is consistency with, with whatever, whether it's mindset or practices or your communication or checking in and reviewing and reflecting on what's working and what's not. Like consistency is the big C word in my life that I'm always talking about and people are probably sick of hearing the word come out of my mouth. So I'm very glad that you touched on that. Um, and the other question that I have is around your, what's your kind of, perspective on what you get from striving so if you're striving to succeed or you're striving to better yourself or striving to understand or striving for consistency versus the actual result where do you think that kind of fits into everything whether it's failing or succeeding or working out what you want to do and all of that sort of thing how does that work for you mm, I don't know if I'll directly answer your question but we talk about, you know, the not comparing things, even though we are human, we tend to compare. But bearing in mind, what is it that you're comparing? Why versus whom you're comparing? And uh, in the end of my book, you know, I actually talk about don't compare your life to others. There is no comparison between the sun, the moon and the stars. They shine when it's their time. We must have darkness in our life in order for the stars to shine. And sometimes we don't see the stars, but they are still there. Owing who you are, that you are weak at something and you want to strive. Whether it's about losing weight, it's about getting education, whether it's striving for the next thing. is, What is it that I'm willing to put in my effort? Nothing lands on your feet just like that. We must be willing to allow a crack. And that's how the light gets in to us. And uh, in all of this thing, let's say, I don't think it's a magic bullet that we have but it took me i mean golly you know 40 over years to recognize that that i hope to pass on and again it is very hard because we're human we want to get things right the first time but somehow i say it is okay to not get it right and that's what i always emphasize the striving in uh, education we call it self-determination is don't forget to care about the people around you at the end of the day it is all about relationship yeah it is always about relationship if you strive everything in your world and got everything and you have no relationship you have basically lost everything but if you oh. have relationship yeah. what's the point <laughs> yeah exactly oh my goodness it's it, it, it's such a such a beautiful thing to hear because obviously I'm in the business world and there is a lot of very unconnected, very, I don't know, people who are in it for just one reason and they don't really care 
how many people they piss off or how many people they kind of step on to get to wherever they're going. And it's a very difficult model to even see happening. I you know, feel like I'm kind of arm's length to it, but I'm very aware of what's going on. Whereas I work in a very connected community. We're all, you know, the people who I work with are people who say things like a rising tide lifts all ships and those sorts of things. So it is very much more connective and it is, it is about obviously... You know, I was running my, my the last uh, module of my beta course this morning and I said, you know, the same sort of thing that, um, you know, you can, you've got to like look after the people who are around you and obviously you're setting up a business that works for you and does, you know, whatever it needs to for you and for your circumstances, your family, your goals, you know, your other commitments and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you've also got to look after the people who are paying you money. Um, otherwise, they're not going to pay you money. <laughs> it's all for naught anyway. So... Yes, I'm all about, you know, making things work for yourself, but if it's not if it's not in a connected and community way, there's I just don't understand how it's sustainable or how it can work anyway. So it's lovely to yeah. hear that I confirmed. I mean people do it for the money, they're angry at you, but they do it and they're you know, they're just suck it up but they're not happy relating to you and uh, when I was at Columbia uh, University a professor asked me what is it that you really want to do I said oh I just going to teach you know all of this I just gave a plain answer he said what do you really want to do that means he's asking me what effect do I want to have on society and on the people and then it dawned on me it's not just being a teacher of math science it's not just being a teacher of sixth grade you know high school is being an educator. When I'm an educator, I make changes in society, whether it's for one child, it's for one class. What effect do we have on people using our talent, like you know, your show, your voice, to, to let someone hear and to understand where people are coming from? Is if we do all of this with no effect on people, um, I don't think it's any useful. You know, we must have some effect in a positive way on people. And so I always call myself an educator more than just a teacher. Yeah. That I want to influence one child, one community, one corner, you know, uh, of people. Yeah. Mm. I, it's such a big thing, isn't it? I, I recently attended um, a festival and beautiful Shannon Bush, who's also been a guest on the show, was a uh, presenter. She held a workshop around her new book, uh, which is called The Thrive Factor. It's on my desk somewhere right behind me. And she's done these beautiful um, archetypes and one of them is I'm going to totally stuff this up the name but it was something along the lines of an educator inspirer I think um, which is you know obviously what you are that it's you know you're teaching and no matter what you learn whether it's the mindset or the journey or the story or the actual maths that you have to share it like you've got this bigger goal and I think a lot of people do have that some people don't like some people just want to kind of do their own thing and whatever and that's personality wise that's that's totally cool but I think for people who have that skill or talent or special interest, it's almost like a duty that we need to share it and to help other people to get up to that point. And, you know, I always say it's really interesting when you start talking about something and you have the courage of your convictions and you finally kind of say whatever it is that you need to say, as scary as it might be, that people just come out of the woodwork and they're like, me too. Yep, me too. Thank God you said that because now I can say it. And is I talk about, like, yeah, the, the recovering perfectionist... I started talking about it and it was like everyone was sitting around the table and it was like everyone just let their belts out and were like, oh, yes, I don't have don't to have be perfect to anymore either. But yeah, you really do hold that space for other people to be able to do it. And once you've t 
taken the first step and everyone else has taken the first step with you, you're like, oh, great, well, second, third, fourth and fifth steps are going to be way easier now because you've got a tribe. And I love it that students tell me, you know, it's like, it's not just completing these assignments and doing this work. They say, Dr. Hong, we can feel your passion. I cannot teach their passion. And people can see it. And I said, wow, that was like the biggest compliment because I don't know how to teach you the passion. You embrace it and you see it. And I'm so glad that it radiates to students because no matter what I say, I have to be the example of why you become a teacher. And I always want to remind them, I would have been that student that you written off if you didn't give a chance. And today I am where I am today because a teacher cared about me to give me a chance. And it took me 10 years and plus all the years of repeating for one teacher to make a difference. And so along the way, I call them accidental angels. People around us, they're angels and yep. they us, whether they are making us upset, helping us, whatever it is, they accidentally interacted with us and we could embrace that and say, hmm, I hope I learned something from this. And down the road, it's like you never know how I'm still waiting for the day I could thank this teacher at 10th grade of what he did. I don't think he ever knew what he did. And I didn't know what he did until all these years later that that was the change. I was trying to find out what is that catalyst? Was it overnight? It was all the shaming and everything that I have in my life. And then there was this adult in my life, you know, that, that changes everything. Mm, yeah. Amazing. Now, just super quickly, um, what, would, what, what impact has your success or your like, newfound understanding of the consistency and the okay to fail and the learning from that, what impact has that had on your immediate family? So there was obviously a big history of things maybe not going so great for them has that helped them sort of lift up that tide or do you see it more for future generations that well, in, that's your place well in terms of my mother she's illiterate so she cannot read the book uh, she's not very happy that i published a book because in the chinese culture is about not airing your dirty laundry uh, but again, for me, in writing the book, it's not about airing the laundry. I wanted my educators and my teachers to see something. But also, I thought my whole life, I was begging for forgiveness. I want my mom to say sorry to me. I want my dad, who has passed on, to say sorry. And I realized that in writing it, it was very therapeutic. I don't need the sorry. I don't need anybody to apologize to me. I have so much goodness in my life that I should embrace it rather than dig through that wound. And maybe I would never get the apology. And it's okay. I got so much to celebrate. I have four children and I have a loving family. I have a great job. And even if I don't work and I stay home, I can raise a different generation that's different from what, you know. So we don't always know what's in front of us. All I know is I don't want the, what's behind. So I'm going to go forward. And we cannot tiptoe our whole life and try to make that jump. We have to take steps so that we're ready to make that jump. And for me, being educated, you know, let's say being raised in Asia countries, being educated in America, it gives me the combined way of what's the best way I can raise my own children. And that will be, you know, let's say the most successful thing that I hope to do as a mother. <laughs> it's definitely a legacy thing. And it's a, I know I've got two little kids as well, and it's definitely a game changer in terms of 
purpose and why and what's the whole point and getting an A is fine, but if you, you know, all the things, I'll get all upset if I start talking about that. Um, Barbara, I'm so inspired. I'm so glad that you reached out and you've come on the show. This conversation has been amazing. I'm literally just getting waves of goosebumps because it's resonating so, so much. So um, another one I keep saying super quickly, last up, last up, but I'm just, I could talk to you for hours, I'm sure. Um, you have left us with so many takeaways, but if you could talk to, I don't know, your 10-year-old self or your younger self, what would be your top three things that you would want her um, to hear? Wow, that's a hot one. I, know. I have a whole that... book, remember? You don't need just three things, no. <laughs> but if you could give us three things, what would they be? Well, again, in my book, I use a lot of quotations. And the reason I use quotations is because people can interpret that according to however, you know, they see the picture. And um, one of my favorite quotes is, there is nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. And when you look at it, you go, I don't know what this tiny little worm or whatever is going to do, but it's going to blossom. And how it goes through the change, the moth inside is gruesome. And yet it knew it has to go through that in order to be this butterfly. And remember, everybody got to go through some stages in life. And it's yours, is this cocoon. You know it's gruesome. But some things around us, we cannot change. So change ourselves and our attitude. And uh, you never know. It's going to fly away. And then, that, you know, that butterfly. So I hope to live with you with that. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go away and have a little bit of a cry now. Like it's just, it's just so beautiful. I've loved your story. Um, I will go and finish the book. Uh, the first part that I have read is confronting, um, but really, really beautiful and I'm absolutely loving it. So thank you. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Um, obviously all of your links, your Amazon book and your social media links will be in the show notes. But um, for anyone who's like frothing and, and just hanging to get there, hands and eyes on you what's the best way for them to do that well they can go to barbarahong.com or like you say on amazon they can uh, get a book but on my website you can see information and what is it that i do and with the book thank you very much lovely and the book is calling failing up um, if you're looking for that on um on amazon as well so again thank you so much barbara it's been an absolute delight um, chatting with you and I hope to chat again sometime because I'm sure there'll be more amazing goodness um, from you in the future as well. Thank you. Mahalo. Thank you. Bye. Bye.